Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey Barger-Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me as per usual is my co-host and associate editor, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? There's just like a lot of TV all the time everywhere right now, and I feel both very inundated and very behind at the same time. (laughs) I have so many screeners to watch. It is not funny. I am actually a little annoyed at how much television I have to watch for my job. And I know that's like whining about the dumbest thing. I know. It's like, hi, my diamond shoes are too tight. But like at the same time, like I could just throw things. (laughs) Um, I don't think any of you should feel that bad for us, but it is a lot of TV. Um, My eyeballs get tired, people. Yeah. I wish I could, um, I've said this before, I may have actually even said this before on the show, but if science could get on coming up with a way for me to like wear a helmet while I sleep that like beams the TV into my brain instead of the weird dreams that I assume I must have, but I don't really remember unless I'm being like violently murdered in them, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm definitely here for the, can I download my, can I download the content in my brain? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So what are we talking about today? A show that we actually watched all episodes of. Yes, we have. I, I, for me, we all know this is a this is a big step, but um, we are actually a little bit late talking about this because of the glut of peak TV. I am hoping that everyone is still binging this a week later and is ready to hear us talk about it. And that is the second season of Netflix's Bridgerton. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that everyone is still everybody's still talking about this at least they are on my timeline i'm ho- i hope so because i still have a lot of thoughts that i need to express and i feel like this season much more than the first is i don't think controversial but possibly divisive in the sense that i feel like we all just really loved the first season and wanted to gush extensively about how we felt about the first season and i don't know that that's the case for the second well um you know i mean i don't mean i didn't like it i to full full disclosure i liked season 2 i did not like it as much as season 1 um okay but let's first of all let's um set the stage for the audience cuz i um, I'm really bad at doing that usually, so I'm trying to remember to do that this time. Um, the Bridgerton is Bridgerton, the Netflix series, is based on the Julia Quinn uh, series of romance novels, also called the Bridger- also called Bridgerton. Um, season one was based on the first book, The Duke and I. Uh, season two is based on the second book, The Viscount, who, The Viscount Who Loved Me. Um, the first book I was- love that I love that you just did that because I learned to uh when I was a kid I pronounce I still to this day as a grown-up pronounce words wrong all the time oh, because yeah. I learned how to uh pronounce a lot of words from you know phonetically because I read them and not because I heard them and and it looks like it's viscount but it looks like it should be viscount yeah and yeah that's one of those things where like um, there, there's definitely like so many Game of Thrones was a big one for that like every character's name I was like you pronounce that how? That is not how my head has been pronouncing it for 10 years people. Anyway um, so The Viscount Who Loved Me uh, season one was basically about Daphne, um, the eldest daughter coming out. She's the fourth born in the Bridgerton family because they're all alphabetical um, this is season two but importantly the first girl. Yes the first girl and uh, for the record like Bridgerton is a fantasy like we should be very clear on this there are eight children in the family none of whom died in childbirth mom is still alive dad is dead and yet they're all still rich like this is not um this is not like reality um and uh anthony is the old eldest um he has been the viscount since he was 18 when their dad dropped dead um he's now 28 uh he has decided that he is going to marry this year now that he's seen his younger sister get married um, he does not plan to marry for love. He is kind of hardened and 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 you know businesslike because he's had the weight of supporting this family and making sure their money didn't disappear on his shoulders for ten years. And so he decides, well, whoever gets named Diamond of the season, that's who I'm going to marry because that's the most you know highest girl I can find, right? So, uh, which this- I think, to be fair to Anthony, this is not uncommon. This no. is not an uncommon thing that happened. A lot of marriages in the region, possibly, probably most marriages in the regency period were actually business arrangements before they were relationships so um so he's uh, not a weirdo for that um the uh 
uh, at the same time, this is the second. So basically, we are a year on from season one. Um, so it's now 1814. And at the beginning of the London season, this new family has come to London. Uh, they are the Sharma family. They are staying with Lady Danbury, who is basically uh, uh, chaperoning the two daughters and on their first London season. The older daughter is 26. Her name is Kate. The younger daughter is like 1819. She is Edwina. And and the two of them are basically being introduced to society, though Edwina is the one who is of age to be introduced to society. Uh, she is named the diamond of the season. So Anthony immediately starts pursuing her. Uh, Kate is, But Kate had already overheard him in the garden, basically boasting about how he's, you know, he's going to keep his mistresses and, you know, basically doing boy stuff you know to, to, to his boys. And so she's like, I have no intention of allowing you anywhere near my sister. Uh, the, this, of course, does not work out too well because Anthony and Kate can't keep their eyes off each other or their hands off each other. And by the end of the halfway point of the season, uh, Anthony has asked Edwina to marry him and can't stop staring at Kate. And there's a whole scene where it becomes like a whole love triangle. Edwina is madly in love with Anthony or thinks she is. Kate is madly in love with Anthony and trying to deny it. Anthony is trying to deny that he's in love with Kate. Uh, and then they get all the way to the altar and Edwina suddenly like the light bulb turns on and she runs away and he and Kate are left to basically embarrassingly admit to each other that they can't that they desperately are in love with each other. Now, I want to talk about this because I am a huge Julia Quinn fan. I read all the Julia Quinn books when they first came out. Like I discovered her back in like the mid 90s when she first released the Splendid books. I read all the Bridgerton books when they came out. Um, this Just is also. Sidebar, I've heard this whole speech from her before, so somebody pig me when it's my <laughs> turn to contribute again. Sorry. Um, so, I Kate Sharma or Kate Sheffield in the books. She's changed to Kate Sharma here because of the diversity that they are introducing to the show, which I actually really like. I like the fact that they change that. Um, is one of my favorite characters. Uh, the 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 trope for this one in the Duke and I the trope was you know let's pretend we're in love oh look we're in love which Lacey you said was like you know one of your like favorites you call you call it's called fake dating that's okay. the name of the trope okay fake dating. well this 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 this, it, it's, this is the enemies to lovers trope I guess is what you would call it this is my jam like I I don't care what kind of romance it is if it's enemies to lovers I'm there um so this book was kind of like really important to me and. They change so much. Like the original Kate has been in the ball, has, isn't from India. She's literally been a wallflower for 10 years. She believes she's unmarriageable, not because just because society has told her she's unmarriageable, but because literally no one has courted her in 10 years. You know, Anthony has literally been in those ballrooms for 10 years, ignoring her. He doesn't actually pay any attention to her until he suddenly like discovers her younger sister. There's a whole like they're they're both very traumatized people in the book. Um, Kate has a whole bunch of trauma from like her father's death. Uh, Anthony has a whole lot of trauma from his father's death. Um, they basically heal each other's trauma with their love is kind of the whole like character development that happens during sex thing. Um in the same way that, like, the Duke and the same way that season one had, like, you know, uh, 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 Daphne, like, discovering how sex worked as a character development, like, they have, like, you know, love heals trauma as a character development. Um, I, I should note that this book also is, like the Duke and I, one of those where the Regency marriage in the middle thing happens. Like, something stupid happens and they get engaged and they're forced into marriage. And then, like, the second half of the book, they're basically married the whole time and, like, trying to figure out how to be married and having lots of sex. Because that's the way Regency romances work. The show literally, like, takes a hard left. Like, they literally do the scene where the two of them should have the moment where where she gets stung by a bee and he, like, he has, like, a whole... His dad died of a bee sting, so he's, like, traumatized by bees. And, like, he's, like, trying to suck the bee venom out of her uh, chest, shall we say? And people walk up and see them and then they're forced to get married. Here, she gets stung by the bee and he starts to panic and she just calms him. And then the story keeps going and nobody gets engaged. It's it's a really strange moment for um, book readers. I will, I will say as somebody who didn't read the books, 
I'm still halfway through the Duke and I, so I'll get to the Viscount Love Me like in 2027. <laughs> but I like hearing all of this. I of course like once I was done watching, I made Annie give me like the download on what happened. Like, and I get the logic as a person who consumes a lot of TV, like why they felt the need to switch it because it does have very similar bones to season one in the sense that like. Daphne and Simon are are forced to get married in a very similar setup. Yeah. Um there's no there's no duel in the same way, but basically like it, where where Anthony and Benedict basically try to force Simon into marrying Daphne or shoot him, um here it's three mamas standing around going, "You've ruined Kate, you marry her or else." And Anthony, being Anthony, can't possibly allow himself to have ruined a woman, so he 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 marries her. Hmm. Um, but I will say, uh, as somebody who has not read the books, and I've been given to understand repeatedly in my DMs that uh, this this book, this this particular pairing is a favorite of the Bridgerton book fandom. And I really spent a lot of this season trying to figure out why. And I couldn't figure out why. And I think I've finally figured out why, which is because they do this hard swerve from the way the books get them together. And I'm assuming it has to be because it just feels too similar to season one. Like, I feel like for me, I didn't get to really see very much of a relationship develop between them. There's a whole lot of that. It it really leans into the sort of Darcy and Elizabeth, like, vibe of I'm going to talk about how much I hate you. So, you know, I like you kind of thing. And so there's a whole lot of that. There's a lot of them standing around talking about how much they vex each other and how much they hate each other and how much they can't stand each other. And I guess that's supposed to be a substitute for personality. I don't know. But the fact that the show doesn't let me see something really develop between them, other than the fact that they're kind of both hot for each other, I guess, is really a detriment to this relationship for me. And I didn't, I was not nearly as invested in them as I was in Simon and Daphne, like by a lot. Um, I find that what they've, to me, what struck me is how much more mainstream this season felt. You know, one of the things about... Oh, there's way less sex in it, guys. Like, so much less. Okay. I don't mean so, to sound so, like so, prudish or whatever, but, like, that is seriously this entire show's brand, and it is gone. Um, it, it, so, I, uh, as you guys know, I always say this at the end of a staff writer for Elite Daily. Last year, or two years ago when season one came out, I did a piece for Elite Daily, you know, all the sex scenes in Bridgerton. And it was like eight scenes that I had to rank. This one, we literally couldn't do one because there's only like one. one. Like there's a half a sex scene kind of. Like 1.5. Yeah. And I think Benedict hooks, Benedict hooks up with like a model or something, but. That doesn't even get shown on camera though. Like there's really like no sex in this thing. It's really shocking. And I mean. That's- but, but my point is, is that I like a lot of things. I mean, granted, this is very much like Bridgerton's reason, raison d'etre, if you will. Like, it's supposed to be the, like, sort of sexier alternative to Masterpiece. But, so it's weird that they just sort of got rid of that almost entirely. But I that but I don't know that I need, I didn't need that to buy into this couple. Because I buy into plenty of couples that don't have nearly the, like, level of, let's call it extracurricular activities that that the first season of the show had because they sell me the emotional connection. And I don't, I just don't feel that here. And I feel like everyone really wanted me to. And I don't know if it's because I didn't really get to see, I don't feel like I got to see them get to know each other in a significant way. Other than they were like bickery and and mean to each other, which like I said, is, is a very sort of boys pulling girls pigtails on the playground method of indicating attraction but because they also sort of really take the whole love triangle aspect of it seriously it really makes it hard to root for them because Edwina's really nice Edwina was actually my favorite character like I loved her and I really hated watching two people she cared about like purposefully screw her over um so well thing one um, this is why Regency romances put the marriage in the middle, because the whole social mores of the time mean that unless you're married, you really don't get a lot of time to be with each other and like get to know each other. Like that's why Regency romances are 
the, the are the way they are. That's why they have that structure. Um, and yes, you do get a lot of sex after the marriage as part of it, but that's that's why because men and women didn't get to make connections until after they were married. Um, so by putting the marriage at the end in this more mainstream, standard Disney-fied sort of way. They simply just don't have, they're never allowed to be alone together. Like, it's just not a thing. And when they are, like, they're, like, panicked and, like, need to run from the room because they'll get caught together and Kate will be ruined. And that's, that that's part of it. That's part of the problem here is that by moving marriage to the end, they basically like they, screw over the whole point. Well, because the of, thing is, is that the show sold me that there is a sexual attraction between them. Oh, yes. I will believe that I will buy it. I, the show did not tell me that there was anything more, really, than a sexual attraction between them. Well, because in the books, there really isn't anything more of a sexual attraction until they've landed in bed together. And then they really discover how alike they are and how much they actually do work together very well. Um, and when you take that away and fill it in with a love triangle, which, by the way, does not exist in the books, um, Edwina does not want to marry anthony she's just doing it because their father died their mother they're they're penniless if she doesn't it's a business arrangement it's a business arrangement pissed. and she is literally like like she's in love with like some second son scholar dude who like she who who like has no money and like works in a print shop or something and like she is you know when when kate comes back after the the ridiculous beasting puts them together and she's like half hysterical i stole the man you're supposed to marry edwina is like girl please bullet dodged um and like it 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 so to see edwina fall in love with anthony in this way I thought it was very interesting how the show then framed it as Edwina didn't actually ever think about whether or not she was in love with Anthony. She was just vibing off of what Kate was telling her to vibe, which I thought was a very interesting sort of idea. And at the same time, kind of made Kate a monster. Mm. <laughs> I think Edwina has a much better arc in the story than Kate does. I, I do, too. Um, I also was very thrown by the fact that then we don't get her falling in love with the second son. And instead, the queen's like, hey, I got a prince nephew that ne we didn't we forgot to marry last. No, I was fine with that. I was like, I was like, girl, you go get your royalty. You deserve to be you deserve to be royal because you are the best person in this season. Um, go ahead. Um, I also. Well, because they also give Edwina that really. um that really interesting moment where she uh, kind of inserts herself into the Queen Charlotte, King George mess. And I she, and she gets to demonstrate. I loved that too. And she gets to demonstrate how smart and kind and just good she is. And I, I love her. And I, it makes me really dislike Kate, Kate more than Anthony, because Anthony doesn't, Anthony, a Anthony is an idiot. <laughs> Well, yes, he's an idiot, but I was going to say Kate's her sister. That's true. And Anthony doesn't technically owe Edwina anything as long as they both, like, get their business arrangement out of this. But, like, Kate owes her... Kate's her sister. And I just... I don't know. It just... I the way that she behaves towards her is really gross and I don't like it. I mean, I... As an older sister, like, I can kind of see moments where I treated my younger sister the way Kate treats Edwina. But never to that extent, and certainly not like that. And it is. No, I'm an only child, so all of these nuances are lost on me. But it made me dislike. It made me like Kate less. Okay, there is something to that relationship. I have seen my. I have seen myself as an older teenager, basically try to boss my kid sister into being a person I think she should be, rather than actually letting her be herself. Because I'm 18 and she's 12, right? But I also did that when I was 18 and she was 12, right? Kate is supposed to be 26 right like by the time I was 26 no my kid sister was off doing her own thing and I wasn't trying to boss her into being who she wasn't anymore because she'd established herself as a human being and so there's like I, I see it and I get it and I don't and I don't I, I really do think that there was a level where they didn't quite think through how monstrous they were making Kate um I, I do think that there was a level where they didn't think through how how by taking the marriage out of the middle they were uh, hamstringing this relationship um i the thing is though like even with all that 
really loved the season. Uh-huh. I really loved, like, I, I, I loved all eight episodes. I loved the Royal Ascot, which is a total addition. Um, I loved the Paul Mall scene, which is not a total addition. The Paul Mall scene, by the way, is a huge fan favorite scene from the books. It's basically the, mo- so Julia Quinn, when she first started writing the Bridgerton books, didn't mean to write a book. She planned to do, she basically did little connected trilogies. And she was thinking, like, she, she's actually got an article up on her website where she talks about this, like how she really only plan to do uh Daphne Anthony and Benedict and then like move on and she didn't mean for Lady Whistledown to be anything more than a plot device and like the whole thing just took out from under her and she had to sort of like pivot and the Paul Mall scene is actually one of the reasons I love it so much is in the book you can actually see that this is kind of where she is pivoting and she Put, brings in all of the ca- characters and she you can literally see her like here's their personalities okay here's here's me spelling out how they all relate to each other now we have all the base down so we can continue with this series once I'm done with Benedict like you can actually see her doing that and as somebody who is a writer I love that and I'm really glad that they made that scene into an actual scene in the show even though that part is obviously not part of what translates but because it's one of my favorite scenes i was really glad they did it um i also just as a as a thing like i feel like there's so many other changes that are happening along with the kate and anthony change that this season was you know one of the things about season one is that they didn't actually change simon and daphne like they really did stay faithful to the book even as they changed everything else around it and here everything else around it has already changed and now we have the actual main story changed too um i would love to get your thoughts on because i went back and forth on this throughout the season and uh i'm just assuming that if anyone is listening this far into this episode they've watched both seasons and are and are up to date on this but at the end of season one they reveal that penelope featherington is lady whistledown so you spend a lot of this season uh there's some there's some Colin and Penelope stuff but most of Penelope's plot this season is about her trying to juggle her real life versus her Lady Whistledown life and keeping people from finding out that she's Lady Whistledown and misdirecting people to think somebody else is Lady Whistledown and all this other stuff and I don't know that that always worked for me in the sense of I think the story might have been better if we hadn't known that she was Lady Whistledown at the time and it would have given her something probably more interesting to do. I would love to know what you think about like how do you feel like the show has adapted to having that because I know you told me that they don't tell you that till like book seven or something um but no they tell you in book four when you get to colin and penelope's romance oh okay um and and the thing is the thing is in book uh, okay on the one hand because when 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 quinn wrote the first book she didn't mean for lady whistledown to be anything more than a plot device she didn't really assign it to anybody and kind of had to like backtrack and like sort of like you know fix it so that, that that it would be Penelope. Um but no, you don't find out it's Penelope until book four, which here I guess would be season four. Um in the thing is is that when she drops that Penelope is Lady Whistledown, she does it kind of casually at the beginning of the book. Like, oh and Penelope was Lady Whistledown the whole time. Let's go to the romance. Right? Like I, that's it. Like Eloise's book is the next one and Eloise is just kinda like, oh yeah, I always knew if she was Lady Whistledown. Because I feel like it did really, one of my favorite things from season one was Eloise and Penelope's friendship. And I feel like this secret really soured that in ways that made me uncomfortable. Like, not just because, you know, Penelope's like lying to her BFF, but also we'll talk about Eloise in a minute because Eloise became really annoying this season. Um, And I don't know, like, I don't know if I would have found that so annoying if, if I hadn't known that she was Lady Wilson. I don't know I'm expressing this badly, but I feel I don't I don't know that it was helpful to have that information right now. I don't know that it super added a lot to the story. Um, when they revealed that Penelope was Lady Whistledown at the end of season one, I was genuinely shocked. I genuinely thought that they would keep that going for at least the first two seasons, if not all the way to a season four, because I thought it would be the thing, it would be like the puzzle box driver. Does that make sense? Like, like, like in Yellow Jackets, where like, actually, no, I'm trying to think of a PBS show where we have like a puzzle box driver. Um, cause, not re- it's not, it's not super, it's not the same. Yeah. Oh, like, so- we don't really air a lot of shows like that, but yeah, Yellow Jackets is a good one. Like, just the stuff that drives the kind of like, 
the, the kind theory of conversation pieces, yes. theory pieces that you see all over the internet like who is the antler queen from yellow jackets yes. or literally anything to do with westworld yeah, yeah that kind of thing yeah and um i i assumed that we were going to go through several at least two if not more seasons of who is lady whistledown like theories about lady whistledown and then they just no, and it's Penelope the whole time. And I was kind of like, just, wait, what? They just tweeted it out. Yeah. Um. Um, it was very much a, they just tweeted it out moment. Um, but honestly, what got me this season, um, so because I know the next books and because I know the stories that are coming for Benedict and Colin and Penelope and Eloise, one of the things I find really impressive is how the stories that they have added for these characters in turning this into an ensemble piece are very clearly to me building to the story that they need to hit so that they are in the correct place in their character development for their romance to begin and i find that really fascinating like benedict is down and out he has he has basically like lost his passion for art he feels like he's been a fraud he kind of hates himself and then he meets the love of his life and one of the things the love of his life does is give him his artistic passion back we have now had two seasons where he basically runs around like the, the finds the you know the bohemian lgbq underground of art world and then he goes to art school this year and he's basically been built into the person that he needs to be to start his romance colin is when colin's big problem is that he feels like he has no passion in life and he's kind of this useless you know bumbling smiling thing that nobody really cares about and has no has no interest and is boring and he 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 feels like oh, and he's and so jealous right. he's so jealous of penelope because she has this passion and this thing that she loves to do and she's found her calling and you can literally see like the marina love thing in season one i was kind of like what is that but this season like it really began to build into colin becoming that person and realizing that he's kind of an idiot and he's kind of and that he has no you know he he had you know he's he's trying to lose money on ruby mines in georgia oh my god um i just what every time that storyline came on i wanted to fast forward i just did not care okay we'll get to the featheringtons in a moment um but eloise like Eloise is supposed to basically Eloise's love story doesn't come in for another 10 years basically in the books and by then she is she has been out of society like society shuns her and like giving that giving her this 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 invented thing with Lady Whistledown where Lady Whistledown basically outs her first relationship as being with this you know commoner who is they never actually call him a chartist but that's basically what he is um even though the chartist movement didn't really start till 1815 but you know what i mean um they uh they they basically like lay the groundwork like this is them laying the groundwork to who eloise will be when she finally falls in love and i really did appreciate that stuff that being said I wish they hadn't told us who Lady Whistledown was because I wish that you were still sitting there across from me going, who's Lady Whistledown? Like, I really wish that, like, <laughs> I wish, I wish, I wish I had that. It's like the Red Wedding, maybe people, I waited for three seasons for you people to get to the Red Wedding and it was great. I was going to wait for three seasons for you to get to Lady Whistledown and it was going to be great. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. It's not I kind of wish we'd, I kind of wish a little bit that we'd waited too. Uh, I do, I do like the sort of the sort of added level of like ferocity and serious business acumen that this all gives Penelope. But oh yes, like that is one of the things about her that like there are so many things about these characters that like you don't that that like the that that we are getting earlier on than we than we normally would have. And actually, I'm quite mad that Francesca doesn't get a lot to do in this season because Francesca is literally like Lady Violet Crowley in the making in the books <laughs> when you finally get to her book that's who you find out who she is and i have been wanting the show to like like give her those kind of lines and like instead they're sort of like still paying attention to like the older siblings it's really unfair i do think they had a great there was a great scene between anthony and uh greg gregory yes gregory that's the youngest the, the smallest young boy no he's not the youngest he is he is he's the second youngest hyacinth is the youngest um i thought that was really well done 
let's talk let's talk about Eloise some more because I'm trying to figure out why I really like, I don't know why I like does she just have to become like a cranky monster for her story to progress <laughs> well again you know they are building to basically her I know I but I I know but as somebody who doesn't know what that end point is I spent a lot of the season being like wow maybe be a little bit grateful the only reason you can act like a complete expletive is because your sister married a duke yeah and the fact and like they do try to give her like, you know, th- this sort of um, I'm acting like this because I know I can never live up to Daphne sort of thing. But it doesn't really read um, what reads is something that I, you and I actually discussed this a little bit at the end of, when we discussed season one, how Eloise is always talking and Penelope is quietly doing. And they actually spelled this out at the end where Penelope literally yells at her. You talk. I do. Um, which I was actually, I loved that scene because I loved the fact that like, that that, that we get, friends can hate each other on that oh, kind yeah. of, and, and I really felt like Penelope and Eloise hit that kind of friendship divorce moment, which is really weird because they never do that in the book. So I don't know how they're going to get them back together. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, mostly that's how I reacted to Eloise's romance with random printer boy not even romance but flirtation whatever it felt like poverty tourism yes they call him theo sharp he is clearly vaguely like the most vaguest like reference to the person that like edwina is supposed to fall in love with so that like we didn't oh right you said he was like a printer but yeah but the thing is is that he is actually like he is a second son of somebody like it here the the reason they sort of did the printer thing was to sort of misdirect us before the show so book readers would think they knew who Theo Sharp was. Oh, right. Um, right yeah. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, I love the fact that we did have some Chartist stuff. I love the fact that we do have Eloise trying to be political and sort of realizing that 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 she's that she's privileged. But I feel kind of yes, but kind of no. I yeah. don't think it went far enough because it really did just feel to me like she was slumming it. And and always had that. It's just like when you read those articles in various online publications where somebody decides to like live a year with no credit or live a year on like a thousand dollars a month or something. And everybody's always like real keen to praise them. But you never dig into the fact that they have rich parents or that they have like you know, that they have a, a background of what like, you know, there there is real difference from experiencing something like that in a way that you know you have a safety net and can leave at any time Mm -hmm. versus when it's your actual life and I find that so offensive and that's what it feels like she's doing here she's like slumming it with the pobs in their like political radical printer office and and the only reason she can do that is because her sister married a duke yeah and she's like so ungrateful about it not that I, not that I think she should be like Daphne. You saved my life or whatever. But she's also kind of an expletive to Daphne a lot of the time, and I'm like, girl, she's the only reason you can do any of this. Yeah, I, 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 I do. I'm still th- very team Daphne, apparently. Um, I, I will say that, like, in the same way that I think Kate was ill served with some of the changes, I do think that Eloise was not helped by some of the changes. But then again, you know, I thought season one Anthony was not helped by some of the changes that they made, where they made him much more overbearing and much more monstrous and really kind of made him into like something that Daphne had to fight against, which he isn't in the books. And they really did do such a great job of rehabilitating that this season. I know. And I don't feel like it was. I, I thought it was I think I even texted you this while I was watching it, but like it it was really well handled, I thought. And without being look, this is a man getting a redemption arc. Yeah. It was I, really just like we are giving you more information that does not make his behavior any better, but it makes you understand why he's like this. And it goes a long way. Yeah, it really does. And I'm really hoping that like that kind of that they that they do that kind of repair work on Eloise, um, some on Colin, um, you know, because I, I, I you can see that they can do that now. Um, speaking of Penelope and Colin, let's also talk about the Featheringtons because we have to. Uh, every time their stupid Ruby Mind subplot was on, I was just like, next. Thank you. Next. <laughs> So the thing about the Featheringtons is you don't cast Polly Walker 
and then not give her anything to do. You have to give her something to do. They have this great little cast of like miserable family that they've put Penelope with. So they had to give them something to do. They killed off Lord Featherington at the beginning at the end of season one. Um, so they had to bring in another one. And so I sort of felt like it was a funhouse mirror Matthew Crawley thing where like <laughs> I really did. I really felt like I was like we're watching like the Matthew Crawley uh, Lady Mary thing, except Prudence is uh, hitching herself to a man who is claiming there are ruby mines in Georgia. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. As an American, the concept of ruby mines in Georgia just couldn't I couldn't stop giggling. Um <laughs> You you could have at least, like, I don't know, put them on the African continent so I wouldn't giggle so much. Or South America, for God's sakes. Anyway, um, we all know there aren't ruby mines in Georgia, but I suppose in that way it is sort of like we immediately know he's lying. But anyway, it, I... Bridgerton went to such length to hide who Jack was going to be in that storyline, and I really didn't think it was worth it. Um, honestly, I was, I was just glad that Polly Walker won up to him at the end and sent him packing. And I think that's about all I can say for Jack Featherington. Other than the fact that he also gave us a reason to bring back Will Mondrich, who is another, like, um, character that I sort of thought would disappear and has now, like, gone from boxer to gentleman's club owner and will apparently continue to be useful in some way, I assume, in the next few seasons. I mean, I'm assuming, I'm assuming if only because he's added that additional set set option yeah. for things. Yeah. Um I I mean honestly like I was a little thrown by him as a as a as a character uh, Simon's sort of into boxing but the the, the whole Will Mondridge character is completely made up for the show. And so like having him then come back this season in in the same way as like so, as like some of the other stuff that's that you know, there's just so much that's been carried over from what they made up in season one to fill in season two in places that I almost felt like season two didn't need filling in. Um, uh, Lady Danbury is a perfect example. Listen, I know you don't cast her. You don't cast an actress like that and not give her a major role. But Lady Danbury is basically in the Julia Quinn books a walk on. She just she no she is that she is that string that ties every single Julia Quinn book together. At some point in every book, someone is in a ballroom and Lady Danbury turns to them and arches her eyebrow. And that's basically <laughs> all she does. And that's how you know that all of these are taking place in the same sort of re- regency mm, universe. Yeah. She's and, the she's the the Phil Coulson yeah, of all of this. Yes. Okay. And 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 in in she is actually like related to Simon in the Duke and I book. That's the only book where she has like a major role. And then she sort of disappears again. And like I think th- I think she shows up like twice in the in 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 the Viscount who loved me. And yeah, here she's like now they're they're her ward, so she has so much more to do. And at this, I, I, I love I love watch I love watching her. I I love the character. I I love her relationship with Lady Violet. I am looking forward to the prequel series. But again, this is stuff that fills in where there could have been more story actually given to. Kate, who is the lead? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did wonder as much as I enjoy Lady Danbury because she is the closest thing the show has to the Dowager Countess and gets all the best lines. But I, I was really like, why are we spending so much time with her? Mm-hmm. Like, because yeah. because again, I, I, I knew because you told me a lot that Kate was really important and everyone really loved Kate. And I felt like something was wrong with me because I couldn't figure out why. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm curious, like, I'm curious how much the books will change from here on out too. Um, this is the last season of Chris Van Dusen, I believe Van Dusen, something like that, is the showrunner. He did the first two seasons. It is now being passed to uh, Jess Brown Brownell, who is basically like worked with uh, Shonda on Scandal. Um, and so like uh, she's going to do the next Which two seasons. Which may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you feel about the later seasons of Scandal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like we are definitely we're getting a different hand on the tiller for the next two seasons is my point. Um, and I am curious how much the new showrunner will stick to the books, because if if I if the Visca- if the Viscount who loved me 
is my favorite of the Bridgerton series. An Offer from a Gentleman, which is Benedict's story, is my least favorite by about a thousand miles. Like, if you wanted a book that I wanted you to rewrite completely from the ground up and just change the whole damn thing, yeah, that would be it. I truly can't. I've seen some of our mutual critic friends going on online about how much they love Benedict, and I think they just really like Luke Thompson because I can't tell you, like, more than one identifying detail about who Benedict is as a character. He is a total cipher who is hot and there. Um, his his story is uh, has problematic issues. It's kind of Bridgerton does Cinderella, but it's it's got problems. And I, I, I can only see it having more problems with some of the changes that the show has already made. So I, I don't know. I would really like them to alter season three. I'm a little sad that they went ahead and did so much altering on season two, considering how much I want them to alter season three, if that makes sense. Oh, I will tell you one thing I was very surprised by. I went to this into this like totally 100% convinced that uh, Reggie Jean Page would show up for like a, a, like a scene. And every time Daphne wandered by like holding their baby, attending her brother's society wedding sponsored by the queen and her husband the duke was just like not there and no one even mentioned it i was like uh well i mean that's a legacy of the books in that i know but like i know but this we you just went on at length about how much they have altered the books for television. And that's just like not even mentioning that he's like in America or in a coma or literally anything. <laughs> Putting Kate in the coma at the end of the season pissed me off so oh, much. Oh right. I've already um, heard this rant too. Because in the books she doesn't she she it's a carriage accident, not a horse accident. And and she breaks her leg, and it is actually pretty horrific. Like, it's described as pretty gory. Um, but uh, she's awake when Anthony is, like, leaning over her and telling her how much he loves her and how he can't live without her. And, like, totally enjoying the hell out of the fact that he is basically confessing his love like this. And she's just going to sit there and keep her eyes closed as long as he, as long as she can get away with it. And it's one of my, my favorite little moments of Kate. And they totally got rid of it, and they put her in a coma instead. And that made me very sad. Um. I feel like they really did screw up with Paige. I, I I get why they did it. I think they just... I don't think they quite knew how big Bridgerton would be, is my first thought. And I think they also may have been a little worried that keeping the hero from season one would be a distraction to the hero from season two, that they didn't want the competition. And it's why I'm almost certain that even though I'm sure Kate will come around holding a baby a few times in season three, I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony basically disappears um, because they don't want the competition for Benedict. I, I And also, as these characters disappear, we're supposed to have the ones from behind coming up. Like, as I said, Francesca's been given nothing to do, right? Like, we need to know a bit more about Hyacinth and Gregory because their love stories will be coming um, in a few seasons. I mean, I assume their love stories are coming in a few seasons. Maybe they'll end it early. I don't know. But I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I do. I also feel a lot like I, the the change in tone to this season, like this season went from this season really whiplash quickly from season one, which was basically just like sexy times romp to slow burn hold out for eight episodes like it's just it was was a big shift so i'm wondering like what the third version of that will be i don't know because the third version as i said it's bridgerton does cinderella and benedict basically falls in love with this girl that he meets at a ball who is wearing a mask and then he meets her again three years later there's a huge time jump in the middle of the book and that three she's a maid in the house And he literally, the reason it's called an offer from a gentleman is because he thinks that she's not on his level and he offers her to be his mistress. And that's part of why the marriage isn't until the end, because in that case, the the, the sexy times don't have to wait until marriage. And 
yeah, you can see why. To be clear, the character. I'm, I'm totally spoiling the book. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, the the girl. She's that not he, that sorry. I have to listen to this all the time. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Benedict's girl basically turns him down, so it's not the end of the world. Like she has some self respect and like, but he's not a likable character. Like, and and I, as I said, I have no idea how or what trope they're gonna do here because that. The trope here is the is the is the is the class difference trope and the fact that 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 she's a bastard, which, you know, they don't get into whether or not Kate is a bastard here. They've changed her story so much. Um, You know, I asked Lacey, you know, because I wasn't sure. Do they actually ever say if she was born in wedlock? They never do. I don't they basically I actually thought it was really weird. And I know I said this to you a couple of times, but. In a world that's so, like, obsessed with status and stuff, like, part of the reason that so many people want to marry Anthony is because he's titled Mm -hmm. and noble Mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. And I just don't, like, there's no world to me in which he would marry the sort of penniless, no-name daughter of who has, like, an aristocrat half-sister. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't, the show's never really clear about, like, her parentage other than she and Edwina share a dad. And yeah. there's there's a really brutal scene where Edwina says half sister, which Kate deserves. But it's it's like it just you know, clearly their relationship is not uh, like they don't treat each other like half sisters. So that's why it like hurts so much when she says that. But that her it's it's weird that her birth status is mentioned offhandedly several times whenever it's convenient, but not in the way I think would actually matter the most. Yeah. Like her birth status is mentioned basically to give like this is why she thinks she's unmarriageable. But then they don't actually want to go full throttle on that because that's a different trope. Like does Aunt, I mean I guess Anthony knows that. I don't know. Yeah. They never talk about it. Right. Like as I said that's a different trope and it's not the trope they're doing. They're doing the 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 enemies to lovers trope. Um that trope is for the Benedict book if they do it. Um so I I I don't know. I'm I'm very curious how season three will go. We will be getting the Queen but, Charlotte. But no, but no, it's more that it's more that I think. How does anybody care about that when they did for the Benedict story when they didn't care about it for this one? Right, exactly. It's they've already kind of undermined the trope, and it really sort of. I I just I'm just real curious how season three is going to work now. Um, we will be getting the Queen Charlotte prequel before season three, I believe. Um, which I'm actually very much looking forward to. I loved the scene with King George and I loved the fact that they really are sort of leaning into, you know, no one quite knows what the, their historians are disagree on what was actually wrong with George III. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Alzheimer's, but I do like the fact that they've sort of made it into that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think historically it was either. Although if you're looking for a sort of grounded and historical fact version, The Madness of King George is a fantastic movie. And uh, Helen Mirren is Queen Charlotte in that. So, you know, I stand all things Helen Mirren. That's John Gilgood, isn't it? As King George, I believe. Uh, I'm, keep talking. I'm going to Google that. <laughs> um, I, I really do love that movie. I remember seeing that movie and it I, it really made a, a, a great impression on me as a kid. Um, yeah, I, I, I am. I, I'm. For all that I have now complained for an hour, um, uh, Nigel Hawthorne. Oh, Nigel Hawthorne, thank you. Um, I really did love this season, even with all of the problems that it had. And I think the fact that it's strong enough to be lovable, even with all those problems, says a lot for it. I think it's also um, it's really hard to catch lightning in a bottle a second time. Yes, that is true. And I think there is, I, I think there's an element of that here. Is there, you know, the first season was so perfect and it arrived like right when we needed it at the beginning of like our first COVID winter and Mm -hmm. there was really nothing else like it in this space and just all these different elements combined into something that into something that this season couldn't recapture like even if it wanted to which I don't know that I think that it does um I liked it fine I didn't love it the way I loved season one Okay, I I did love it the way I loved season one for all of its flaws. 
Um, and I thought that that was a very that that was a good sign for the franchise in general. And, you know, it's funny you say that they it came at a time when there was literally nothing like it, because now it's coming right as Sanditon arrives, uh, right as the Gilded Age ends. So we have all like of Outla- Outlander just came back. Uh-huh, like, yeah, there's like... just like so much. It was so much everything all at once. Right. Yes. Now. Um, everything everywhere all at once, which is a good movie, by the way. And you should go see. Um, I yeah, I, uh, I, I yeah. I, I think that's basically, I think I've run out of words on Bridgerton. <laughs> um, if you guys knew how many of those words I had to hear from I'm her so on sorry. this topic that are that were not in this previous 45 minutes, uh, just so you know. She has a lot of word on, words on Bridgerton. Don't let her pretend that this was like some minuscule amount. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think that is our show for this week. If you have thoughts on Bridgerton, tweet us or email us at televisions at weta.org. We'd love to hear them. I especially want to hear personally, just my own notification from other people who haven't read the books and how you responded to Kate and Kate and Anthony. Because while I was watching my screeners, I had a very long period where I felt like a weirdo on an island who like didn't understand what everybody else was yelling about about this particular couple. I mean, maybe it's just not for me. Sometimes that happens. Um but the bonus of Bridgerton is that the focus will completely shift in the third season. Negative of that is I can't stand Benedict. So we will see what happens. Yes, um, I suppose Bridgerton is a little like the weather. If you don't like it, wait a minute. <laughs> but Uh While you're making dad jokes, why don't Sorry. you tell the people where they can find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at any bundle on Twitter. You can find me at Miss Any Bundle on Facebook. Uh, you can find very pictures of my adorably fuzzy cats, um, which I also make dad jokes about um, at Instagram, uh, at Any Bundle on Instagram. Um, yeah, I am a staff writer at Leap Daily, uh, associate editor here at Televisions, and I also freelance around the web. So if you want to know what I wrote this week, just uh, follow me on Twitter because I retweet all my violence there. Thanks. Huzzah. I am Lacey MB on Twitter. That is L-A-C-Y-M-B. And like Annie, I write a lot here at Televisions and around the entertainment web. But I always tweet my bylines, so come be my friend and hear me yell about TV I'm watching and books I'm reading and houses I am not buying because I am just going to... I don't know. There's definitely a level in hell where you have to keep going to realtor open houses, and it's not fun. Um... But if you don't care about any of that, the site and the pod are on social media at Televisions Blog, all one word, on Facebook, and Telly underscore Visions on Twitter. We have a newsletter that goes out every week that updates you on all of the goings-on at the site, and you can find that at televisions.org slash subscribe. If for some reason you want to listen to this podcast in a new location or encourage your less podcast-savvy friends to do so, you can find it on YouTube on WETA's channel at WETA PBS. Oh, goodness. What else do I need to tell you guys about? Oh, yes. We are a product of public media. And if you like what we do, visit us at televisions.org and click on that donate button up top to help us keep doing it. You can get access to PBS Passport, where there are all manner of early and preview sort of viewing exclusives for members, including week ahead viewing for Sanditon. Uh, Nicola Walker's new series, Annika, is coming in april before it airs later this year there's just there's like a lot and this ending to this episode it's long enough as it is so i will spare us all uh spring is here i guess it's april i don't know how that happened i'm not sure where like the first third of this year has gone off to but uh summer's coming i guess i don't know not really not for like three more months but i'm just trying to find things to be hopeful about which is really hard these days so i will end by saying take care of yourselves take care of each other do what we can because we're all we got and we'll be back next week thanks for listening <laughs>